Welcome to TWW, The Weekly Wheel, where each week the Dharma Wheel rolls and delivers you new content available anywhere at any time in your everyday life. We present a mindfulness service, which has three components. First, meditation. And then we meditate with sound through chanting. You can have your mind wander when you sit in silence, but it's very difficult to wander as you chant. You need to focus on the next character, on your breathing, on the next line. And if you pat yourself on the back too much or become too self-aware, you'll miss a line. And then lastly, we have something called active listening, where we lean into and really listen to the Dharma talk given by our senseis. You could think of silent meditation and sound meditation through chanting as preparatory to get our minds focused and open and clear so we can really listen clearly and really take in the Dharma. And in a sense, it perfumes the mind. The mind is slowly changed as it hears new points of view, new perspectives, and new approaches to dealing with life. It's set up much like an in-person service. It's led, moderated by multiple voices. So you get a variety of opinions, a variety of, of perspectives as you go on your journey. So I hope you will join us now for this mindfulness service presented to you by the people at The Weekly Wheel and the Orange County Buddhist Church. Thank you so much. We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, it's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward, without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from one to ten. Inhale deeply, let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go.
Please put your hands together in gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world, waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. Return to your seat or cushion. Sitting in this way, we might wonder what purpose we are achieving. Actually, there is no specific purpose. I think it's really to make us aware of what sitting is, what breathing is, standing is. What are these simple activities that we do most of the time without thinking about them at all? We'll begin our second sitting at the bell.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters. And each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character. And it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. Today's chanting will be the Sambutsuge. We often chant the Sambutsuge in Shin Buddhist services. These verses are from the larger Sutra of Immeasurable Life, which was composed in India during the first century of the Common Era and translated into Chinese around 400 of the Common Era. It is a cornerstone text for Pure Land Buddhism in China and Japan. Shinran Shonin esteemed the larger Sutra above all other teachings, and he devoted his life to its propagation. We will begin chanting it now. Oh, God. 
Every January, I notice a sudden increase in the number of runners in my neighborhood. The surrounding gyms and health clubs are also suddenly packed with nowhere to park. And then I remember that we've just celebrated New Year's Eve. These are all the people who made resolutions to get healthy. Most will be gone by February. Both the runners and the parking lots will have cleared out until next year. 
This is because only about 8% of all New Year's resolutions are actually achieved. There are two main reasons for this. First, a resolution is often goal-oriented without any specific path or process defined on how to actually reach that goal. Second, the path is too difficult. Suddenly, running five miles a day is not enjoyable, and it relies too much on sheer willpower. When willpower fades, so too does the new behavior. Goals are good for orienting us in the right direction, and they also provide a feedback loop, but they are not a good way to actually make things happen. Another approach is to focus on a process. For example, rather than vowing to get healthy, instead vow to walk your dog every day around the block. This activity is so simple and easy that it requires very little effort. Over time, this activity will naturally become a habit rather than a chore. You and your dog will want to walk rather than have to walk. Creating new habits is actually how we change old habits. The mechanism or the solution is the same as that for the problem. When we find ourselves in the middle of a big problem, we often think that we need a big solution, a silver bullet, a home run. It is counterintuitive, but our big problems are created over a long period of time due to very small, repeated habits. Problems sneak up on us in this way. New habits allow big solutions to also sneak up on us. Changes in behavior, both for the good and bad, occur after a behavior has become an effortless practice. I have experienced this myself. About 10 years ago, my wife Linda began going to yoga classes. She wanted me to also attend. I hesitated to go, but she was so enthusiastic that I couldn't say no. I kept attending and did not give up. Instead of trying to do yoga, I began just doing yoga. It was then that something very interesting began to happen. When I quit trying, yoga became less frustrating. I stopped competing with the 20-year-old women around me. All that was left was the activity, the process of doing yoga. I then began to enjoy it. Once this happened, it became a habit. Now I would rather attend Monday night yoga at the Orange County Buddhist Church than stay home watching Monday night football or reruns on TV. This was my yoga conversion from a have to to a want to. I searched around the web to see what could have caused my change of heart concerning yoga. The explanation I found was that I had unknowingly moved from a goal-oriented approach to a process-oriented approach. Rather than trying to accomplish something, I was now experiencing something. I found this very interesting because it helps explain why seemingly trivial Buddhist practices can lead to profound changes in our lives. In our tradition, we listen to the teachings, we bow, we chant, and we practice gratitude. I never really understood how something as trivial as saying thank you could be profoundly transformative. But that is the key. Trivial, effortless, easy practices are the only ones that can become habits. They require little or no willpower. We actually call this the easy path. It has to be easy or the behavior would not stick. When I first started to attend OCBC, it took effort and sacrifice. My favorite Sunday morning activity was listening to Breakfast with the Beatles while running on the beach. It is a three-hour radio show consisting of only Beatles music. I had to give this up to attend OCBC. Some days OCBC won my time, and other times it was the Beatles. But over time, I found that I had a better week after attending OCBC as compared to running with the Beatles. I couldn't explain it, but it was true. 
Slowly, attending OCBC became as effortless as running with the Beatles. I began to see OCBC as just another activity, one comparable to any other activity. Buddhism had become a habit for me. Having to attend OCBC on Sundays is like having to brush my teeth before I go to bed. Both are ingrained, effortless practices that have profound effects over time. I think this is why bodhisattvas make impossible vows. It forces them to focus on process, whether it is emptying the Pacific Ocean with a pint measure or delaying one's awakening until all beings are awakened. All one can do is focus on the process of practice when the goal is impossible. That is what Buddhas do. In Gosho, Reverend John Turner. Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This podcast is copyrighted 2024 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, all rights reserved.